0: Crossway Church, Sermon Audio. And if everyone would turn in their Bibles to Psalm chapter 2, and then right before we… Psalm 2, if you go to the middle of your Bible, you'll pretty much hit the Psalms, and then just go to the beginning to chapter 2. Right before we have our sermon, uh, let me pray again. We want to pray for Sam Ovalle, I believe believe Sam has his surgery this coming Friday, unless anything's changed, but that was the plan. So we want to pray for Sam, Uh, pretty significant, excuse me, very significant surgery, most of you probably already know um, about his cancer, and so uh, we're going to pray for him. And also, um, let's pray for uh, Doug Plank and uh, Josiah Willis. Uh, In South Africa uh, ministering to a church plant there and seeking to encourage them and delivering uh, the gift that we took up an offering for. So let's ask God to bless them keep them safe, bring them home to us safely as well. Would you please agree with me as I pray? Father in heaven we praise you that we can come to you at all but not only to come to you but to know that in your great love shown to us in your son, your inclined toward us and so we come with our requests we ask that you please send your holy spirit and Jesus would you please touch Sam it would only take a touch from you to heal him we ask that you would do that God we know that you raise the dead we know that you forgive sin we know that nothing is too hard for you and so we ask for your healing touch we trust you Lord We know that you'll always do what's best for your people, even when we don't understand it. You've got our best interest at heart, and you bring yourself glory through us always. Uh, We also ask that you would strengthen and help and keep safe Doug and Josiah. Please make them effective in ministry. Please bless the church there through them, uh, communicating to that church our love for them, our support of them, and send your spirit to stir up that church today and in the days to come. Please bless Doug and Josiah, and please bring them back safe and sound to us at the end of this trip. And please bless our morning together, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Do you remember the story of Jesus and his mock trial? It was a kangaroo court. He was innocent but they kept him in custody till they, could, till they could drum up some false charges and get all the power brokers to align, to bring about their purposes, the conviction, and then the execution. And they crucify him. Now, in part of that story, Jesus is questioned alone by one of those power brokers, by Pontius Pilate. Pilate is a pragmatist. Jesus is popular with crowds, but the elite want him dead. How can Pilate now make everyone happy with these two huge, strong agendas in front of him? He questions Jesus. Maybe, Maybe he's stalling. Maybe he's trying to find a compromise to go forward with. But Jesus says nothing. He gives no answer which must have been puzzling and somewhat irritating. And so we get this exchange in John chapter 19. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless It had been given you from above. Now, that is a gutsy answer. That's an answer from someone who's extremely confident. He knows he's staring death in the face, and not just death, but the most excruciating death that ancient humanity could figure out how to deal out. He knows it. But he tells the truth. The power dynamics, if we're looking at that from a human perspective, the power dynamics look like it's only a one-way street. Pilate has the power, Jesus has none. But reality requires more piercing sight. There's a reason that Pilate has authority, and it's not for the reasons that he thinks. It's not just because Caesar delegated it to him. And it's not just because Rome happened to have military might at the time. Pilate has temporary authority over Jesus because God ordained it and gave it to him. Pilate, therefore, Jesus is saying, Pilate should be very careful. He should wield the authority granted to him by God. He should do it faithfully as a steward who is well aware that the powers that he possesses are not his own. And do not solely come to him through human means. The powers that he has are ultimately for the glory of God, and that's how he ought to steward those powers. Pilate fails miserably. What Pilate did not understand and did not want to understand was that a greater power was before him, a greater authority, a greater royal. And in the grace of God, Pilate's failure was about to establish this this king as supreme for all ages. Here's what Pilate should have done. Here's what all rulers should do. And here's what you and I, must do. And so as I roll out this proposal, ask yourself, am I doing this? We should take refuge. We must take refuge in the King who is established forever. Our psalm today is 12 verses. We're going to begin by reading the whole thing. We're going to read it together out loud, okay? Because it's short enough and, and there's... Um, Wonders and powers in the Word of God, where God reveals Himself. So we'll read it out loud. We'd like to do that when we can, together. We're going to read it in the ESV. So if you have the English Standard Version, you have your Bible, use that. But for anyone who doesn't have it, that's fine. We're going to put it up on the screen. And as we read, as we read this, see if you can find a need for a refuge. I'm I'm asserting that we, we need to take refuge. See if you can find a need for that refuge. Why do we need to take refuge? Let's read the psalm out loud. Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me. And you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Weighty words. And again, they compel us to take refuge in the king who is established forever. We're going to take the psalm in two parts. Here is the first part. We need refuge. I wonder if you saw that going through the psalm. We need refuge. You might not think you need refuge. You might not feel like you need refuge. You might feel like you have all the refuge you need. You might feel like I have a good house. I have a good job. You might feel like I have money in the bank. I have refuge. I I have security. But no, that's not enough. We need refuge. And we all know at some level that we're not guaranteed a long, healthy, safe lifespan Humanity has tried to make life like that. And as a race, I think we've made some strides, but risk still remains. And the truth is, life is far more dangerous than we sometimes realize. And as Americans, most of us have been sheltered, thankfully, from some of the worst characteristics of the human race, the fallen human race. But even that seems like it's changing now. We hope not, but it seems like it's changing now. We need need refuge from the danger that we may see as God's people. And more importantly, we need refuge from the threats that this psalm reveals. I see two threats. First of all, we need refuge from the rebels. Who are the rebels in the text This may surprise us a bit, so let's think it through. The psalm is speaking from the point of view of ancient Israel. Israel was the old covenant people of God. God made a covenant with them. Before he sent Jesus to make the new covenant, God made a covenant with them. And so it's saying... Here in the text, it's saying, it's talking about from the point of view of Israel, and it's saying all the other nations, all the non-Israelite nations, all the non-people of God nations, they are raging. They're raging. And so the rebels in this text are all the peoples of the world arranged in their countries except for God's people. In other words, all the world. In other words, all humanity is raging against God. Not only are they raging, but they're plotting, the Scripture says. The, that word for plotting that's used here is the same that's used in Psalm 1 for meditate. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Remember, we talked about that, and we said if you're, if you're thinking about God's Word, you, if you start talking to yourself, you're not crazy, it's okay. You're just, you're meditating, it's how you do it. You might be mumbling to yourself about the greatness of God, you're working something out from God's word. Uh, If you're you're mumbling about the squirrels in the backyard, you might be crazy. But if you're mumbling about God's word, you might just be meditating. Well, that word is the same one that's translated here as plot in some translations as conspire. In other words, the the nations that are against God, all the peoples of the world, (coughs) they're they're thinking deeply about. They're thinking hard. They're muttering to themselves about their plans. I can't believe this. We have to get. We have to get over this. We gotta. We have to throw off these shackles. I can't believe these people that try to put these shackles on. We have to throw them off. What can we do? What can we do? Okay. Well, let me think that through. There's ways I can. I, there's something I can do about this. And they're conspiring, and they're thinking, and they're plotting, and they're meditating on their plans. Well, who are they raging against? The Scripture tells us that the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. Oh, that's who they're plotting against. And against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us the Lord is Yahweh. You may have heard that term. That's the special name God revealed to Moses for himself, Yahweh. And who is Yahweh's? We call him the Lord. Who's the Lord's anointed? Well, God had promised to his covenant people, and he promised to make David king over Israel. And David was this preeminent king. And and not only that, but God had promised to make David's house a dynasty. So that David's household would always be, a son of David would always be a king over the old covenant people. God promised that. And God promised that the way he promised it sounded eternal. It sounds like a son of David will always be king over God's people. And so... The peoples of the earth, the, the, the rebels are raging against, against God and against his king. That's who the world rages and plots against, God and his ruler on the earth. Ever since the fall of man into, in the sin in the Garden of Eden... This is the way it was, this is the way it's been, this is the way it is, and this is the way it will be until the Lord returns. Well, what does their rage look like? Think about this. What does their rage look like? Not just on the surface, but, but beneath the surface. This is amazing what the psalm reveals to us. It reveals to us what the raging looks like. You can see it up there on the screen. Let us burst their bonds apart. And cast away their cords from us. We don't want God, and we don't want the the Lord's anointed on earth to restrain us in any way to say, "Here's what's right, and you must do this." We want to cast that off. We want to break it. We want to do our own thing. We want to be our own God. We'll do it our way. We will define reality. And that impulse, if we're honest, is not only in the kings of the world, but it's, it's in the hearts of man. So then, in the time of Israel, in the time of the kings of Israel, this raging would have looked like many things, but especially like direct military action against the nation of Israel. They did not want Israel to actually rule over them or to hold sway, burst those bonds and cast away those cords. But this raging still takes shape today and it looks like a rejection of the reality of God. Think about this. Think about how we're seeing this today. Think about how we see it in the world. It looks like a rejection of the revelation of God, the reality of God, the revelation of God from his word. It looks like a rejection of any accountability to God. That's how the nations rage. The nations continually actively work to spin the realities of God away from their hearts and minds, to erase them, to push them off. So when God's people hold up the truth, for instance, that life is a gift, we say life is a gift. The world says no, abortion is about women's rights and compassion to people in difficult circumstances. That's what abortion is. It's not about life, it's about this other thing. You see the spin? And so at the very place where life is created, where human life, the image of God, is cultivated, they bring death. But they do it with this spin on reality. And when God's people affirm that God made us in His image, and that we are made male and female. The world says, no, we can choose our own sex despite whatever biology we've received. We reject that, and we will decide for ourselves. We cast off the bonds. We break away the cords. And these are just two easy examples. We could give many other examples, but you get the point. God's people need refuge in this world. Why? Because it's becoming more and more that if God's people will not affirm the values of the nations, if we will not say, yes, cast off these realities, these revelations of God, they will push against our speech. They will call us hateful. They will find reasons to make our speech uncomfortable and, if possible, even criminal. See, the censoring of truth hear me on this, the censoring of truth is the raging of nations. It has been, it is, and it will be until Christ returns. As I said, we could give many other examples, but you get the point. We need refuge in this world. We need refuge from the rebels. But there is a second and much bigger danger that we face that need of refuge from because it, it might be easy it might be clear to point at what's going on in the world and see they're raging against the reality and the revelation and accountability to God but it may be harder at times to see it in ourselves because the truth is we were among the rebels some here today may still be among the rebels And even when we become part of God's people, there are times that we think and act like the rebels. There are times that we've sided with the rebels. And we better take note of this other danger. We better make sure that we are not numbered among the rebels, among the nations that rage. Note the terrifying and fascinating response of the Lord to the raging Nations. Note this. And, you know, first of all, you can see uh, in verse 4, he who sits in heaven laughs, you know. And, and I, I just, I remember being on the, the bus going to school. And uh, sometimes I like to joke, it's like a prison bus in there. Like, once you got on that bus, you know, the bus driver's doing his thing. And uh, that means that the natives are just kind of free to rule. It's, it's, it's like, um, you know, it's like the Lord of the Flies on the bus. It's like, you know, the power and the might rules. And uh, you know, there's times I have to deal with the bus driver, but not too much. So so um, you know, one time my, my friend Joe Galley, he would he'd mouth off, he'd get me into fights and he'd get into trouble, and so he was messing with the with the high schoolers on the bus. We're in elementary school, he's messing with the high schoolers and and, and he's mouthing off, and sure enough, one of the one of those guys took a grape and squashed it in his ear. You know? It's like not not only can not only am I stronger than you, but I'm going to humiliate you, laugh at you. Can you imagine, like, a child, like, in elementary school, like, trying to attack a high school boy, and that high school boy puts his hand on his forehead, and the kid's flailing his arms, you know, can't even reach him. That's God laughing. At the nations, they they think they're so powerful, they have their nuclear weapons, they're trying to get their nuclear weapons, they, they have laws, they have military, they have police, they have enforcement officers, they have social media, they have the news networks, they, they can leverage all these things and and, and God laughs. He says, are you kidding? He laughs at, at their efforts. And he doesn't say, Note his response here, this is fascinating when he turns to deal with them, he doesn't say, I'll blow them up with a volcano, which he could do. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah. The fire fell from heaven. No, but in his terrifying fury, look again at what he he says in verse 6. He says, he's going to terrify them in his fury, and this is what he says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And so God in heaven looks at the situation, looks at the raging nations, the rebels, and he says, it's okay. I've already, this is past tense, I've already got my king in place and he will execute for me judgment and justice. You see that? It's already done. He's already in place. And then he further emphasizes it, so he says it in the past tense, he further emphasizes it in the present in verse 7 when he says, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Now think about that with King David. It's like God sees the raging, he says, it's okay, I got my king, I already have my king installed, and he turns to that king and he says, today you're my son. In other words, it's like he brings the king even closer. You're not just my king, you're my son, you're family to me. And so this line of the kings of David, they, they become, to some degree, those who mete out the justice of God. At least they did to some degree. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to their failures in a little bit. And you see what this son king is going to do in his wrath against the rebels, against the nations of the world. The scripture says that he's going to take a rod of iron, a scepter a strong piece of metal and he's going to take it and he will bash them in and strike them down and break them in his wrath and justice. And it'll be like taking that rod of iron to a piece of pottery, which pottery was so useful to the ancient world. They, they used it for all manner of storage. I mean, it was critical, but at the end of the day, when it's broken, guess what happens to pottery? It goes back to what? dust. It can be broken and shattered in a dramatic fashion, makes a loud noise, but then it's done and probably gets buried, you know, put out with the trash and goes back to the dust. And that's what the, that's what the king's son, that's what his wrath will look like against the rebels. And because of their, their potential great and powerful wrath, the king in heaven, God over all, and the sun king on the earth. Because of the potential of their great and powerful wrath, the rest of the psalm goes on to say, it goes on to say, be careful kings, be careful rulers, be careful pilot, be careful presidents and prime ministers of the earth. This is why Jesus is there and he says, you wouldn't have power unless it was given to you from above. Be careful rulers Be careful governors and prefects. Be careful mayors. Be careful school board members. Be careful township councilmen. Be careful dads. Be careful teachers. Be careful bosses. Be careful everyone who's been granted authority. Be careful... Instead of raging and rebelling, you should kiss the sun, the Sun King. You should bow to him. Think of have you ever seen a video of people kissing the Pope's ring? Uh, I'm not advocating. I find it incredibly strange. And um, once in a while to mess with me, my dad would say, "Kiss my ring." <laughs> just to get me to well, to irritate me. Which, by the way, he didn't have a ring. And he's probably referencing more the Godfather than the Pope. But you get the idea. Kiss my ring. You see, we're all sinners. And and this should be our attitude toward God, the King in heaven, and His his Son. It should be worship and deferral. And it shouldn't be a heart that you can imagine someone having to kiss the ring, but in their heart, hating it. That shouldn't be us. That might be the rebels in the world, but that shouldn't be us. We should find that hand, the most lovely. We should find it as the saving hand, the hand that saved us. And we should go and we should kiss the king, kiss the son. Say, I'm yours. I worship you. I belong to you. This is what we should be. We should recognize we're sinners. We don't deserve his condescension. And you know what? We're part of the nations of this earth. We're part of, of the rebels until we become a part of God's new covenant people in Christ. Until we become part of the church. You see, we need refuge from the rebels as God's people. We also need refuge from the Son who's going to mete out the wrath of God. And we better go and be careful and kiss the Son. Take refuge in the King who's established forever. We can see from Psalm 2 that everyone needs shelter. And so it's good to know that God has given shelter. He's given it. Where is he given it? Where where do we find the shelter? Well, in the passage here, it says here that, um, as for me, God says, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And so where uh, where is the refuge of God? Where can we find refuge? Well, it's the same place. So the Zion, the holy hill, is the, is the mountain upon which Jerusalem has been built. Um, I've been told that Pennsylvania mountains aren't mountains at all. They're just hills. From everybody that's seen a mountain, I, I, apparently they're just like, oh, those are hills. Well, I'm looking forward. I'm hoping to see, uh, Lord willing, I'm going to go in October um, to help with church planters and pastors to help train in a nation that's, that's actually known for a massive mountain. And uh, maybe I'll take a jog up that mountain for half a day or so. They say some people die on that mountain. I probably won't do that. But um, I, I hope to see it. I don't know that I'll see it, but I hope to see it. And the, the, point of, the idea of a mountain, right, is it's it's momentous. It's it's immovable. It, it's the kind of thing that you you don't even think about moving. That's why Jesus uses it as an illustration of, of, of what faith can do, move a mountain. But when you think of a mountain, I mean it's established, it's as firm as the earth. And and what's on top of it's like a crown, it's majestic, it's glorious. And 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 this is the idea of Jerusalem. It sits atop a high hill, a mountain that's immovable. And people go up that mountain to see the sun king, and they worship there. And so the idea of the mount in Jerusalem is, it's, yes, it's a physical location, but it has these spiritual implications. It's, it's, it's much more than just a physical place. It's the place where God puts his presence, and it's a place where, where God's strength emanates from, where his ruler rules from, where righteousness is supposed to, to reside And so it's given the name Zion, this idea of this eternal, glorious kingdom. And so that's the, that's where we find the refuge, the strength. But how, how is God going to give refuge? How's that refuge going to come? Well, when the kings of Israel were strong, And they did rule over other lands. And they were righteous. In those times, that was a refuge for all of God's true people. Because the king would rule righteously to some degree. But the truth is, the historical truth is, the kings of Israel never really had that much clout. David did some, Solomon had some, a few other sons beyond them had some. But it was never that great. I mean, it wasn't even like the Greeks. It wasn't like the Romans. It wasn't even like the the Babylonians or the Assyrians that would come. It wasn't like the British. And it's not like America today. They never really had that much clout. And the truth is they failed. They failed righteousness. And a lot of times they ruled not only unjustly but but unrighteously. Sometimes they even ruled wickedly. And so Jerusalem wasn't at those times, a refuge. It was a place where raging was happening, where rebels were reigning. Well, what's going on here? Did you ever see that movie, The Matrix? I, I bring up these movies from time to time. And I think like I'm this cool, edgy pastor talk about movies. It's like The Matrix came out, what is that? I don't know, 20-some years ago. Every time I do this, I age myself, but Hopefully it'll be useful to some degree. The very things that the bad guys do in the matrix end up empowering the good guy to save others. And there's something like that going on here, although at a far greater scale and a true scale. You see, years after the monarchs of Israel had failed and it seemed like they were all but stamped out, Jesus of Nazareth, Comes, and he is in the line of David. And he is righteous and doesn't sin in a way that no other human has ever achieved or overcome sin. And he goes up to Jerusalem. And he's imprisoned, taken into court. He's tormented, tortured. He's brought outside the city, still up on the mount and he's crucified and executed. And in that, and then then he's resurrected. But what they do to him there, when his blood drips on the ground of the holy hill, and then when he is raised again, it is here that he is coronated. That he is Today you have become my son. Because we know that Jesus is the God-man. He has two natures. He's the son of God and he's he's a human. And so the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, adds to himself a human nature. Now, just think about that. That can seem like a step down, right? He's God. But he takes on a human nature. Why does he do that? So that he can become the king over all. And on that mountain, he's coronated and becomes king over the human race, king over the entire earth. In this work where he dies and is raised, the son destroys death through his resurrection. He defeats sin by never sinning, by never disobeying his father, by always being obedient to the point of death, to the end of his days, he defeats sin. So that we have hope that we can overcome sin. And in that, he destroys the devil. Because the devil's plan in leading the rebels to rage against God and to plot against him is overcome once and for all. The sun destroys death and destroys, defeats sin and destroys the devil. God says, as for me, I have set my king. I've set him up in Zion on my holy hill. This is the eternal sun king, the son of David, who will forever be established on the holy mountain. Think of that imagery again. Think of that mountain Think of a a city shining on top of it. Think of a king on his throne, forever established. It's It's not what Jerusalem looks like now. It's the new Jerusalem to come, being prepared for the end time when Jesus will return and it will come out of heaven and forever. It will shine his glory forth. That is the conquering eternal sun king established forever. And so what does that refuge protect us from? Well, if we belong to that sun king, we know that he wins, he doesn't lose. And it may look like it did with Pilate, that the power brokering only goes one direction. Pilate's in charge, he makes the call, he calls the shots, he gives the thumb up or down. You either live or you're crucified. What's it gonna be? It's in Pilate's hands. But the deeper, greater reality that we can see the power is actually going the other way Jesus is in charge and he will receive his coronation through what Pilate providentially decides and he will be raised up forever and so Pilate should be careful all these rebels against God should be careful think for a moment about Stephen the deacon he's another amazing example He's, he's proclaiming Christ to people that have already killed Jesus. They, they pulled all the strings necessary to make sure that Jesus, who was completely innocent, was arrested and charged, and they kept at it till they got him killed. That's who he's dealing with, and that's who he preaches to in the book of Acts. He knows where this could be leading, but he also knows that the king in heaven laughs, and the sun king over the earth is his refuge. That's why he's so confident. That's why he stands so firm. And he proclaims Christ, and you know what? It gets him killed. But you know what else? Just before he dies, he looks up and he sees. He says, I see. I see the Son of Man. In other words, I see Jesus. He's alive. He's in the clouds of heaven. He's untouched. He's unharmed. And I will go and be there with him. Do you see the calculation here? You see, if we belong to Jesus, even when they're throwing stones at us to kill us, we can confidently proclaim him Because this tent that we wear, these bodies that wear out, they only hide for a time what's really going on and what we need to see, the greater truth. Take refuge in him and be careful. Don't deny him. Don't betray him. Be careful. All the powers of this world ought to be. And when we stand before them, we need to say that to them. You only have power because God gave it to you and you should be careful. You should kiss the son. But even more importantly, we need to make sure that we kiss the son. We need the protection of the son from his wrath. The judgment that will come against sinners is certain, it's sure. In fact, the resurrection of Christ ensures That God will call humanity to account. All of mankind will stand before him. And in that day, there better be a savior that we have. Someone to step in and say, no, his sins, her sins, they're forgiven. I've forgiven that. It's covered. Do not hold them to account because I have already been held, held to account by my death on the cross. And my resurrection, my life belongs to them now. And they have life in me forever. Do you have that? Do you have that refuge in Christ Jesus in the in the Son King who reigns even now and reigns forever? We will see coming on the clouds of glory, and we will see on the throne of the new Jerusalem, and his light will shine forth and light our days forever. Do you take refuge in, in him? Have you been careful? Have you kissed the sun? Do you bow before him? He's the only one that can save you from his wrath that will come justly in the end. Take refuge in the king who is established forever. I want to ask Joel to come and we're going to sing a song in closing. But as we go to close, I want to ask everyone to consider, first, for all the Christians who are here, brothers and sisters... Do we have that proper worshipful demeanor to the sun king? You know, have we made him too much of a buddy? Have we um, just, just assumed that he would look the other way for our sin? Or do we really understand who we're dealing with here? This is the king on high, the son of God, who holds sinners to account. And our demeanor to him ought to be full deference and worship, when we ascend his mountain and go to see him, like now when we come and gather together and we're in his presence, are we broken and humble before him so that he can exalt us in righteousness? Maybe today's a day to repent. Maybe today's a day to share how you need to repent, to confess sin, to know his grace. He gives it. He gives it fully. He gives it freely in the cross. Let me speak to the unbeliever here. For those who have not yet trusted Christ Jesus, do you understand that there's a ruler who will call all to account? That that day is as certain as this day? That that moment to come is as sure as this moment that you are experiencing? You will hear his voice. It's time to kiss the Son, To bow before him. You only have life because he's given it to you. Use it for his glory. Turn away from sin and trust Jesus today. Be baptized in his name. And become one of his disciples. One of his people. And you will know his blessing. And you will know his life forever. The last phrase of Psalm chapter 2. It says, blessed are all who take refuge in him. You take refuge in him, it's the only refuge. And what a refuge it is. Come, take refuge in him today. For more information, head to our website at crosswaypa.org.